ice water in his veins. I couldn't think of a better place to end the street than Death Valley, South Carolina, baby. Guys going down, guys stepping up. That's what football is all about. And they say we can't do it. What they say now? That stretch sure had me fooled. For a minute, I thought you was getting to be a lady. It's going to be a pleasure to give you a lesson in marksmanship. You couldn't give me a lesson in long-distance spitting. Anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. Oh, you can. Yes, I can. Oh, you can. Yes, I can. Oh, you can. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Congrats are in order for the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. 9-0 start. They're hosting game day. Congrats also to the South Carolina Gamecocks. They're the only Power 5 team in the state not to host game day this year. Clemson is 8-1. And life is good. Gentlemen, so good to get back, see Clemson on the field, be talking about a game that actually happened. How are we feeling today? You remember when games used to worry you, that feeling you got going into a game, thinking about all the scenarios, you're like a little bit nervous heading in, not knowing how well you're going to play, whether you're going to get beat that day. We don't feel that anymore. Like I never feel that anymore, even in playoff scenarios. Like I don't have that feeling. I'm much more anxious uh, in playoff games, but the regular season anymore, man, even Notre Dame, granted we lost the game. Um, you still felt the whole time, like we were going to come back and we did, uh, same thing against Boston college. I was never worried about that one, even though we were down 18 points or whatever. So, um, it's easy to kind of take these things for granted. It was awesome to see the team come out and play the way they did. I think that was no surprise to any of us given, uh, the three weeks, the two Saturdays off, it was almost three weeks between game, between, you know, four or five weeks between Trevor playing. Um, so at least we had that. Like, it was cool to see him back out on the field. But um, I, I do kind of try to remind myself not to take these things for granted um, and all these blowouts being up 31 nothing uh, after the first quarter um, because the, um, the other end of that sucks. And so I'm just, I, I stopped complaining about blowouts. Really happy to see him. You know, I'm not a betting man, um, but this would have been a great game to bet. Just given the circumstances, the three week layoff or pause period, whatever you want to call it. Tully, you're, you're probably more in touch with what was going on, like from the spread, but just the way Clemson's operated over the last several years, when they come into a game really motivated, you kind of know the outcome. You can, I mean, you kind of know what the score is going to be. On the other, on the other uh, end of that is in some games, they leave it too close for too long and they don't like cover. But and again, it's not about betting, but just saying this would have been a good one to bet. What do you think, Tully? Yeah, I agree. It was a good one to bet. Um, also the over. This one was a good one. Um, yeah, like I think, Cody, you can almost set your watch by a couple things if you're betting Clemson or you're, you're looking at Clemson games. Um, and that is like, what does Dabo think about the other team and the other coach for the most part? And is there, you know, mutual admiration there? Like Clemson is going to be against the ACC schedule, at least like generally the superior team and against, you know, teams like Wake Forest or um, kind of trying to think of Dino Babers against Syracuse. Like, do you guys really think Clemson should have been down by one touchdown to Syracuse in the third quarter? Not really. Um, But mutual respect there. Dabo is not necessarily going to run things up. If he has some externality, you know, if Clemson has some external thing that's motivating factor, they got to come in and put style points up. We've had a a layoff, Florida State, 
Welch on a game with us after we traveled, like all of that, we really, we were going to see Clemson put together, you know, great performance. Um, you know, when there are those like external things, I think that's when you can really consider um, taking either side of this thing. Um, and then you get probably what we won't get to see this year is if Dabo is pissed off at another coach. And that's when it's pretty much a sure thing. You can take points. So um, anyway, weird, weird to start out with betting on Clemson. Um, but this one, guys, was, you know, a, a real clean Clemson victory across the board. Really good to see Trevor Lawrence back in action, Tyler Davis back in action, Mike Jones Jr. and James Skalski. I think, you know, we've talked all season about the health of this team is really going to dictate how far they go in terms of uh, playoff aspirations, championship aspirations. And I think we were all a little bit not concerned, but un uncertain about who all was going to show up in this game. And I think all of those guys played a, played a pretty big impact role, maybe with the exception of Mike Jones Jr. Did not see his, you know, number called too often. I know he, he played in the game. It was on the field, but um, how did you guys feel like each of these guys made an impact on this game coming back? Well, it really shows you what this team can be when they're complete and healthy. Um, you saw that extra, um, quickness that Skalski had. You saw the influence that Tyler Davis had up the middle and getting the push and just clogging up those run lanes, getting the pass rush. And then that extra time off, which we talked about last week, possibly being a good thing to get these guys rested and healthy, also allowed Brenton Venables to play with some new things on the defensive side of the ball, right? Having Trent Simpson at the, uh, split out as a defensive end, getting Malcolm Green on the field at the nickel position. So it sucks that we didn't get to play the Florida state game in that we just had a bunch of pent up um, anxiety from the loss to Notre Dame and also Trevor not playing the previous two games. And, you know, the team surely felt the same way, but in hindsight, what, what were we going to learn from that Florida state game? That Florida state was worse than we thought they were like, that's about it. Right. So in hindsight, I think it was good to have this extra rest you know, usually you don't like to see all these weeks off in the season. At this point, we're going to end up with three bye weeks. But I think this year in particular, because we have lost so many guys to injury and had guys out because of COVID, shallow across the, the offensive line, the guys have just had to play a little bit more, um, getting worn down, and then the guys that obviously that needed to rest up. So it's, it's helped to have these off weeks, actually. Um, it's not great for an entertainment value, but I think as far as the team is concerned, it helped us in a couple ways. It helps – you know, get our best players rested up and ready for the stretch run here, but it also helped develop some of these, these younger guys. We're talking about Trent guys like Trent Simpson and Malcolm green that are true freshmen, right? True freshmen playing out there in a very complex Brent Venables defense green at linebacker Trent Sim Simpson, sometime at linebacker. We know how hard it is to kind of come into those positions or I guess green technically in the nickel position and then splitting uh, Simpson out there at end to rush the quarterback. So in the long run, it's, it's definitely going to pay dividends. Yeah. And I, I want to just go ahead and go there to that part of the defense with Trenton Simpson, because I think that's the biggest takeaway from a football standpoint. You know, there's a lot, a lot of the pomp and circumstance with like, you know, being senior day and Trevor Lawrence and ETN's last game in death Valley, but just from a purely a, a football standpoint, I think Trent Simpson, what the way that BV has decided to use him um, to maximize his talent. There's so many defensive coordinators and maybe even Brent Vittables himself in a previous year would have just 
put Simpson on the shelf once Mike Jones returned and said, you know, there's nothing we can do with him. We can't, we can't trust him at linebacker in a full-time role, but no, they're, they just, they put him at defensive end. And because it, what you saw early in the season was like, this guy doesn't really know what he's doing, but he's, he jumps out, jumps out at you on film. Like there's just athleticism that he has that no one else on the roster does. And Brent Venable said, I'm going to, I'm going to make use of this. And I thought that's, I, now I, I can't help but see that as, as being an asset, whether he's an every down defensive end or he's used situationally. Uh, and, and of course, he'll, you know, moving back and forth from linebacker to defensive end. But I just, I think the defense got better just by virtue of having him uh, move to that role. And Ben, I think your, your sort of thesis here is the season's been weird. The two weeks off, including sort of the Boston college Notre Dame games where you did have linebacker, injury issues like in a lot of ways this was bad for this team um just in terms of we weren't sure what the future state would look like for Skalski, Tyler Davis, Mike Jones Jr. but um you did start to get guys like Simpson those reps and you know getting the rest you know seeing fresh legs on Skalski for instance those kind of things um did pay off so you know I think net net Clemson's no worse for the wear from the last five six weeks even though during those five, six weeks, it felt like a pretty sloggy part of the season. And we have those year in and year out. What really matters is how we're playing at the end of the season. Um, and it looks like, you know, once we get everybody back and healthy, we're going to be a tough team to beat. Um, and, you know, nobody in the world is going to be Notre Dame and a chance to beat us uh, in the second go around that's going to likely come up here in the ACC championship game. And that's for a good reason. Um, they know that if we were fully healthy the first time that Notre Dame probably wouldn't have won that game. Um, so, you know, we're, we're coming up on the stretch run here. You're seeing the team get focused and kudos to those guys going through what has been, and we talked about it often, such a, an odd year. And for, for young kids, it's easy to lose your focus with all the distractions going on. Um, but they really have kept their focus and throughout, you know, the, the loss of Trevor Lawrence came out in battle and played well enough to, you know, obviously beat Boston college came back from down 18 against Boston college, then were, was in the game and should have beaten Notre Dame in regulation. Um, so just for them and the way that we've seen them perform and keep their heads in it this year, um, it's a championship mentality. You're not seeing that with a lot of these other teams. And I mentioned that uh, early on in the year is let's see what the end of the season looks like when, teams know they're out of it and kind of given up. You've seen that with Florida state Kirk Herbstreet had a comment today saying that he's talked with coaches and really does think that some of these, um, <clears throat> some of these teams are pulling out of games because they don't want to get embarrassed. I don't know if he's insinuating that that was Mike Norvell in Florida state. Um, and if it is, if Mike Norvell did have anything to do with that, um, then they got the wrong coach. He's not going to last long there um, because if you have that mentality, you're not going to be successful. You know, at Florida State, you can't go eight and four, nine and three in a year, make an average bowl game, uh, maybe every once in a while finish second in the Atlantic and and make a, a New Year's six bowl or something like that. But it's just not going to cut it with that mentality. His, you know, his, you know, his stay or his tenure could be over almost before it started. So um, and you've seen that with other teams. The elite teams seem to be doing OK. Uh, Ohio State, maybe aside. But uh, that just all goes back to giving credit to the to the Clemson players and the coaching staff and how well they've been able to focus this year and keep their mind on the goal. And that's winning a national championship. 
Yeah, I, I think they the defense especially had an edge that you didn't see the last two weeks. It couldn't help but feel like the defense was on its heels, both against Boston College and Notre Dame. Now, part of that was because of a really good offensive line, and we didn't have quite the manpower on our along our defensive line to to get pressure. Um, and you, you see, like when you can start to break down the offensive line for the opposing team. Granted, Pitt had some injuries. Like it just there's a a trickle effect uh, to the rest of the defense, but man, they, the linebackers play with an edge Skosky being back. Um, the, like you got, like you guys said, Malcolm green, Goodrich getting in DK didn't even play on Saturday, right. but I mean, Booth is a freak. He's just a freak. And anyhow, I, I guess I think one thing we talked about in our text thread was I think totally you said, I, I've seen what I needed to see in that game. I was like, and I was like, yeah, that's actually a pretty good takeaway. Cause like you just wanted to see like a team that was a little bit closer to the championship level than you saw the previous two weeks. And I, it happened quick, but I think we're, we're moving to the right place. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the points I wanted to make kind of to start off the show is like, I would calibrate this game. Like, are we going to see like my, one of my thoughts going into this game was, are we going to see a Miami level performance? Or are we going to see like a Syracuse level performance from this team? Like Syracuse for the most part, it was a healthy team, a healthy game. It was just not, Clemson's day from a focus standpoint. Miami, pretty much, I don't want to call it a flawless game. We had, you know, some some issues in that one, but this one felt a lot more like Miami, right? And that that was the moment of the year I remember saying back then, like, you know, we haven't seen Ohio State play yet, but Clemson very much looks like a championship team and the best team in the country. And I had that feeling at several moments in this game on Saturday, which is great. Yeah, because so, yeah. Pitt's not a bad football team. Like they're a decent football team. They were down three guys on the offensive line. So that didn't help. Um, but, but listen, they've got two one point losses, one to uh, North Carolina state and one to Boston college. And then they've lost to Miami and Notre Dame and now us. So um, they're not a terrible football team. They're one of the better teams actually that we played. They got a really good defense. Um, so you can't take that away uh, from this game. They're, they weren't just a pushover. And the thing about the, the first quarter in particular, and the most, the most points ever scored in the first quarter in Clemson history, it wasn't just the offense coming out and being dominant and, and, and stomping them, right? It was the defense and the offense and uh, working together, the three interceptions in the first quarter, leaving the offense with short fields. And then we had a couple, uh, at least one long drive. Um, so it was just good to see as a cohesive unit as a whole that the team was firing all cylinders. Now we lost a little bit of focus heading into the half and coming out in the second half. Um, you know, at that point, Trevor Lawrence is throwing to, to walk on wide receivers, sons of coaches. Um, and so that affects you a little bit, but I mean, there was the, the starting offensive line was in there and they had some, some issues. Um, and we do need to clean that up for sure uh, when we play better competition. But I also tend to think that when we play better competition and you're closer at the half, that that focus is going to be, a, you know, locked, dialed in a little bit more. Yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, not concerned at all about what happened with that. Um, Dabo was, and he, as he should, yeah, some of the, yeah, as he should be. And like some of those plays were certainly head scratchers, but. I don't suspect those are going to follow the team into the Notre Dame game, let's say. Um, so. Oh, no, they're going to be laser focused. You could see four quarters. <laughs> like the first right. quarter is pissed off well, as they're going to be. And even beyond seeing the talent back and sort of execution elevate in this game, this, this was not a, a full Clemson roster either. Right. You know, wide receiver position. Um, we've talked about it. We all know Frank Latson, Joe, and Gata were not 
playing in this game. Uh, I thought EJ Williams and Cornell Powell continue to shine in this one, especially EJ Williams. Powell had a great game. He's just been on that high level. Um, but I think what there, there are a few things that I want to you know, pivot us into talking about the offense and the defense. There were flashes in this game that we had not yet seen this season. And it give you a lot of hope and a lot of thought that this very much could be a national championship team. Um, we will, of course, you know, the college football playoff committee released their second week of rankings tonight. No changes really among the top seven, but I do want to, you know, when we get later into the show, talk a little bit about that Notre Dame matchup. We've had a few more data points on Notre Dame since we've last faced them. And um, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think the, that's the ultimate goal right now. And I, in the, in the Clemson rise to prominence, we haven't really looked across at the coastal and ever really looked at that ACC championship game as, Oh man, you know, there is a team standing between us and the playoff in that game. It was always like, don't screw up. Don't lose to North Carolina. Don't get got by a Virginia tech in that game. I don't think we had any worries about Miami or Virginia um, or Duke. Duke Oh yeah. North. Well, yeah, we played North Carolina, but um, we haven't played Duke yet. Yeah. They, they were in there against Florida state the year before we, we were there, but in any event, um, this is the first year where that game kind of looms large as a playoff eliminator for Clemson or, you know, vaults us into the top two in the country. And it's a rematch so, uh, against, you know, the, the yeah. team that gave you your only loss. And it's Notre Dame. Right. Like, it still, you know, matters. They bring with them, you know, Completely. a big name program and, and history that you're not going to get from another team in this conference outside of Florida State. Absolutely. So let us dig into the offense here. I think there's going to be plenty to unpack in terms of new things we saw or learnings. So guys, in this one, Trevor Lawrence was back. Incredible to see. Uh, he really showed only a little bit of rust. I think uh, had a couple of errant throws on his first two, three series. Uh, but for the most part, you know, after really five weeks out of action, uh, you can forgive him for that a little bit. And um, awesome to see TL. He was mostly contained, you know, wasn't really all that active in the running game, which I was happy to see and just had a stellar performance. Um, I think he really was probably at a better game than the stats showed. I know he went for over 400 yards, but then I know you mentioned during the second quarter and parts of the second half, Trevor was paired up with really getting into the second and third string um, in terms of the offensive playmakers and even the O-line. And there's, you know, Quacking Tiger in his article this week mentioned a little bit of timidness from TL in that, you know, when he's really throwing to like third string wide receivers, he's not going to be as aggressive with his throws, um, just ma- wanting to make extra sure he's putting it in the right spot. And um, that kind of ailed him a little bit here. But, you know, we're, we're splitting hairs. TL had a great game. And I think he probably was due for more than two touchdowns in this one. Um, a lot of hype is being made about his Heisman candidacy, but um, again, I saw everything I needed to see out of Trevor Lawrence. He still is that man, and we're in good shape. Yeah, yeah, I think he was rusty just for the first drive of the game, and that was about it. Um, that first TD pass, DJ Williams, was amazing. Um, we saw him play in the fourth quarter for the first time in quite some time, and I think that was – I have to think a little bit. I wonder if it's them just getting him some more playing time to shake off the rust, but at that point – you know, he was so deep into the game, maybe just that they wanted to nudge him over that 400 yard mark with the 
Dabo's never going to admit this, but with that thought in the back of their head that, you know, let's get him some Heisman snaps or, or stats up there on the, on the, on the stat sheet. So, because I thought probably in any other normal scenario had Trevor played the last two games that we probably would have seen uh, DJ in there a little bit early, probably getting some, some reps there in the second quarter. Um, but yeah, overall, I mean, you see what this team is made of when Trevor Lawrence is out there and as well as DJ played, there's still another level that Trevor brings and what he can do with the offense, the reads that he can make and the art and the, and the RPO game. Um, it's completely next level. Um, and you're reminded just when you see him out on the, on the field, making some of these throws into tight windows, obviously being helped by great wide, wide receiver play. EJ Williams had a couple of nice catches in this game. Obviously Cornell Powell's just been out of his mind the last few games. And I can't, uh, I can't say enough about that kid. Um, but having Trevor Lawrence out there does step our game up to that elite uh, national championship level. And he makes up, and can cover a lot of warts uh, that, that you have, especially if you're still not getting much going in the running game. Right. And like Tully said, we didn't even have to use him in the running game for him to be spectacular and, and kind of, kind of a quiet spectacular. I, I don't know, maybe it's just to each their own in terms of your perception of how he played, but I thought it was kind of a, a good game, not great game, but I think that's just kind of what we've become accustomed to with Trevor because yeah, good, not great is 400 yards now. And 70% passing. Yeah, and, and that factors in some drops, and there was that that no call on the PI for, I can't remember the receiver. I think it was Adju. Yeah. Yeah, but anyhow, there were a few things there. He could have racked up a few extra yards, a few extra touchdowns. But, yeah, what what a performance. And I have to give the credit to the offensive line. I, look, look, they're not, they're not going to be great. We talked about it like two weeks ago. Like, you know, uh, John Simpson's not walking through that door. So like the personnel can only, uh, you know, upgrade itself so much as freshmen come along, but I think they were motivated clearly. I think you mentioned a little bit, Ben, they had some, some rest. They probably needed that. They're, they were playing a lot of reps, a lot of snaps. So I, I think, yeah, the offense, I would grade them out at probably like a B minus just to say that they're, they have a little bit more upside. Ooh, that's harsh. Um, I would go little, you're factoring I, I, the rust. Yeah. Well, factoring the rust. Pitt, Pitt was also very strong, Cody, like from a pass rush perspective. Yeah, really good defense. They, yeah, really good defense. So maybe They're you like would just the say number three rush defense in the country or something like that. Yeah, if you factor that in, I would definitely elevate that O-line's grade probably to an A-. minus. But uh, maybe what you're thinking about in terms of lowering that grade is the fact that Travis Etienne on the ground went for under 60 yards. And this really was a game where Clemson should have, like with the lead that they had, should have been pounding the rock a little bit more, TTN, I thought. Well, unless, I mean, that wasn't the game plan, you know? The top three rushers for Clemson all averaged over five yards of carry and had four touchdowns among them. Um, what you saw differently in this game, there was a different uh, philosophy in play calling and that we threw on 16 of the 23 first downs in the first half, right? And we've, we've talked about all year about being put in these second and third and long situations and not – you know, moving the chains and getting positive yardage on first down. Well, they did that in this game, right? So listen, we don't have to run for 200 yards a game to be successful. In many of these playoff games, national championship games, or bigger bowl games, we haven't run exceptionally well, um, but we can pass the ball over 300 yards passing for a fifth straight game for the first time in school history. Um, so when you can do that, and Davos mentioned this, like 
it, this is not a ground and pound type of college football environment anymore. You have to be able to pass the ball and we can do that. It's getting Travis Etienne involved in other uh, facets of the game. And we've done really well on that this year, um, obviously with the passing attack and you throw in the, the, um, the better play from the tight end position this year. And we still haven't seen what should be our best wide receivers emerge. That said, Powell and Amari Rogers are playing out of their minds. So um, I think we got the parts. As long as the offensive line can hold their own, especially in pass blocking, which they did not do a great job in this game, giving up the sacks. And Jordan McFadden um, had some issues there at right tackle, letting some guys get past him. Um, obviously, some hiccups with um, Jackson Carmen and Mac Bockhorst there. Um, but if they can just keep it together, do do what continue to do well what they've done all year, and that's pass blocking and ETN hopefully gets loose every once in a while in the run game, then I think we'll be just fine on offense. Yeah, and we have talked about playoff playoff teams are likely to face. Notre Dame does have a good defense. I'm curious where they would stack up against Pitt just from a defensive line perspective. Um, Alabama seems to be improving. I'm not really sure that you can calibrate much from Auburn's performance this weekend. Bo Nix doesn't seem like a power five quarterback. Um, he's just, you know, there for nepotism. So um, Alabama, they may not be as potent as Pitt, which is interesting when you consider the talent level. Uh, they're, they're improving by the time we face them in the playoff. If, if both teams get there, um, could be a different story at that stage. But I still feel like, in this one, Clemson didn't necessarily have to play all of its cards, Ben, from a play calling standpoint. And this, this still proves to be a very versatile offense. And I think that's something that saved Clemson's bacon last year against Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl. You know, early on, they were trying to push it with T and with Justin Ross and it was not really that effective against Ohio State. Uh, they pivoted to ETN in the passing game and Trevor Lawrence in the running game. Uh, and that, that ultimately led the way to a victory. So, you know, it, it is good to see throughout the course of this season that offense win in multiple multiple ways. Um, but yeah, I, I I still don't know if I feel like Clemson can win a national title without one of Frank Lassen or Joseph Bengata contributing in the boundary receiving game. It depends. If EJ Williams continues to come along like he has, like he looked really good in this game. If you rolled them all three of them out this week, I'd start him over the other two. Yeah, I mean, and you have answers at tight end too. So that, that's the thing that gives you some relief. But I, I, I understand your concern totally because the last time that we had undersized wide receivers was 2015 when Mike Williams went out with the neck injury early on and Deion Kane was kind of our go-to guy and he was out uh, for the playoffs. So, you know, Deshaun Watson, people forget in 2015, he was throwing to like Ray Ray McLeod and Artavis Scott as like his two main receivers hunter renfro some guy <laughs> yeah i haven't really heard about him since but yeah freshman hunter guy. renfro yeah never heard of her uh, but you're right cody and i was also thinking about the 2017 playoff game against alabama where t higgins goes out i think in the first half end of the first half and from there i mean close was limited in the passing game regardless we know that um in that matchup but yeah it really you really do need playmakers that can have a high variance explosive play, you know, when you really need it, when you've gone three and out or had stymie drives in the running game, you know, three straight series, sometimes you just need that first down. And actually Deion Kane delivered that for Clemson in the 2016 Alabama game in the title game, um, the jolt they needed that first down yeah. that opened up the offense a little bit. 
So, you know, we want to give our due respect to Clemson Tigers past here on this show, uh, to Deion Kane and his contributions. But I know what you mean, Cody, and it's sort of like we have a lot of confidence in EJ Williams, Ben, I agree, and Cornell Powell. But, you know, having just sucks to have those other other guys in the stable not able to go. Well, and, and Gata may not even come back. There's a chance he doesn't make it back for the playoffs. So we kind of have to count on not having him and really just focus on getting Frank Latson back and healthy. I don't know what his status is uh, for the game this week, if he's still out. Um, I forgot. It was a foot. It was Look, a foot. Yeah, it was a the, and he had surgery on it too. Um, I looked at the death chart. I forgot if he was on there. Um, but yeah, I mean, Dabo said early in the season, you know, EJ Williams maybe is not going to make an impact right away this year, but once it comes to the end of the season, this kid's going to develop and he's going to be a playmaker. And we're starting to see flashes of that. I mean, great hands, right? This kid goes up, gets the ball, that one, that one catch over the middle. He knew he was going to get popped and he hung in there and caught the ball. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to say he's going to be the, the X factor that wins us the national championship, but don't sleep on him either. All right, guys, any other key takeaways from the offense in this performance? Um, Again, Pitt had some solid playmakers on the line and in the safety position. They had a guy ejected for targeting. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think Pitt, very capable defensive team. They just went up against a buzzsaw offense that was motivated and saw its coaching staff really look to establish the pass, as you said, Ben, and really exert their talent advantage. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I thought Pitt was a very worthy opponent and Clemson scored 31 points in the first quarter. And some of that was, I mean, a lot of that was based on field position and the turnover game on the defensive side of the ball that gave TL and the Tigers a short field. I think Pitt had several kind of um, probably uncharacteristic penalties in this game too, but Clemson took advantage. And I I forget at one point, I know that on the broadcast, they talked about like how many, how many points Clemson had scored on turnovers. And that's super important. We talked about in the Notre Dame game, not even being able to get a first down after Ian Book fumbled, you know, you really have to clean those things up. And again, that one didn't give us a short field. So it's a little bit different, but you really do have to make the opponent pay. And in a, in a rock fight like that Notre Dame game, at the very least, you have to do so with a little bit of an extended drive and an established drive. But that is a completely different game from what we saw on Saturday. Um, I maybe Cody, maybe you're right. Like maybe this wasn't a, a dominant, Trevor Lawrence performance, so to speak, but, you know, it's pr- probably the best you can hope for coming off of, you know, a, a month plus out of, out of action. I thought I did pretty good. I don't know if you guys were watching. I mean, this game, yeah. I mean, more than anything, it was a game of spectacular plays on offense, specifically the wide receivers, all those catches by Cornell Powell, the one headed catch, the one on the sideline where they said he set that of bounds where I'm pretty sure he didn't. Um, EJ Williams over the middle. Another one, EJ Williams, the Amari Rogers one in the end zone to get called back for the for the illegal man downfield. I mean, those guys were making plays in this one. Um, and, and how about the play calling? I mean, how about that? How about that baller call in the flea flicker after uh, Pitt tried it on us? <laughs> Booth comes over, makes that spectacular interception, and then we turn right around and do it. That was in, with the deep bomb to Cornell. That was. Dabo had a little smirk on his face, they said, when they asked him about that in the interview afterwards. I don't think that'll be the last time you see that play this year. Yeah. I, I don't think you can put that one on the shelf. It's just yeah. like it, 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 everyone's going to suck in when Travis Etienne gets the ball. 
I will say we also have a little PTSD with the shuffle pass against Pitt. Like you see that come out more often against Pitt after they burned us in that loss a few years ago. Yeah, but they stopped us. And I think they, they, they tried to get it going a little bit and it, and it worked one or two plays for them. Um, I think that's why Dabo did the flea flicker thing. I think he's like, we're still, we don't remember, or we don't forget. Anything you know? that you can do, I can do better. Yeah, it was great. But I, I thought this game was, I don't think, I'm not, I'm not saying Trevor Lawrence did a bad job by any stretch. I just think, I, I just think. Why do you hate good. Trevor Lawrence, Cody? Yeah. You're not voting for him for Heisman, are you? No, Kyle Trask, baby, all the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I thought I thought he did he did fine. I'm just saying his I know what his ceiling is. I think he can do a little bit better, and that's perfectly fine how he performed given you know the time off. And yeah, Heisman, here he comes. Well, I think he, just a couple more good performances, and he's there. He can technically have a hundred percent completion percentage and 700 yards. You're right. Can't be better. No, I think to your point, that's a good that's a good thing to bring up there, Cody. Um, the Heisman uh, equation, you know, what is his opportunity to still get in there? He's been fortunate uh, that some other teams um, aren't getting able to play a full slate of games this year, namely Justin Fields at Ohio State. Obviously, he's got Trask at Florida and um, Jones at, at, at Alabama that he's having to deal with. But I think given, you know, two more games, you get the one against Virginia Tech coming up this weekend, they're going to have to buy. Um, and then we get Notre Dame again, assuming we win this weekend. Um, I think he's going to have the opportunity on the big stage to put up, uh, you know, that performance he needs to pushes him over the edge. You know, Florida still has an opportunity to lose this. Where both those teams, uh, well, Florida can lose two games this year and then put them out of it. And um, somebody, I think it was Quack and Tiger and Chicken the Southland, uh, made the comment that you could get that between him and Mac Jones, you get that SEC homerism split vote. Um, and Trevor could end up topping. And listen, we all know this. The announcers say this every game. Trevor Lawrence is the best player in college football, hands down. We know that. Everybody knows that. He's going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft next year. That's just the that, Heisman. The Heisman is not an award for best player in the country anymore. But Devil also said in his presser today, or maybe it was his radio show. Like if this was a goal, yeah. we we could get him the stats. And Timberay put the put the post out there. I think he's only played in like roughly fifty percent of fourth quarters in his career of games oh, that he started. That. Yeah, yeah, it's it's right around fifty percent. Like, yes, he could rack up stats if if that was a goal of the team. And I still think like they're going to mix in DJ Uyunglele into this offense against Virginia Tech and you know, God willing against Notre Dame too um, at the end of that game when we've got a four score lead. So it, it, that might be the moment where you would say like, yeah, let's see him, you know, whoop up on Notre Dame, really flex everything he's got. I just don't know that I see that. Like, I think Notre Dame is going to be a tough matchup. I think Clemson will and can win that by double digits, but I don't necessarily know that that's going to be like a showcase Heisman game for Trevor. Now, if he wins it just by virtue of being like, the champion of that game, you know, the difference maker, like, okay, that's, that's kind of a different thing, but I think it is a, it is an award right now for just gaudy ass stats in a high potent, high power offense. And unfortunately this year, it looks like that's Mac Jones. Like, I don't know, like Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, like those guys were fine. Um, but I, I think it was just, you know, a kind of a system award for what they had going on in Oklahoma against those defenses and the SEC's defenses this year, guys, 
not very good. Yeah. Well, I mean, Dabo's right. He doesn't stay in there long enough to get his stats padded. Um, but when you look at the numbers, you break them down, you look at the averages, he's right up there with the best of them because he is the best. So is it the guy, the broadcast team said it on Saturday, is it the best player in college football? Is it the most valuable player? Uh, or is it the, the player that performed the best in that year? Like, what is the criteria? It seems like it's a bit nebulous, if I'm using that word correctly. We get to look at the media and the way they essentially hand out the Heisman after four weeks of the season every year, right? Um, a lot of years they do that. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. part of it. Th- this year has been different because everybody started at different times. Teams were getting games postponed and stuff like that. And you really have a smaller pool of guys to pick from. I mean, you got to give it to Kyle Trask and Mac, Mac Jones. They've done what they've had to do. They put up phenomenal stats and they played great. I mean, you're right, Tully. They haven't faced the best defenses all year. I'm not going to make the allegation that Clemson has played the best defenses all year either. Um, so I guess you just have to take it at face value and what it is. And at the end of the day, the only people, the only thing people can judge off of is stats. Then that's what it is. It's a stat award. Yeah, but I think it, it will be cool, though, to see both Trask. I mean, Trask is going to face a solid defense in Alabama. We won't call them an elite defense, but a solid defense in Alabama. Mac Jones, he's going to play LSU, and he's going to play Florida. And neither of those teams really have defenses. So that dude probably would be my front runner at this point. And, but I don't know, guys, like I, I watched the Georgia game. Like he did, he did well against Georgia's defense. I will give you that, but he just doesn't to me like strike the same type of fear as a Clemson fan as probably Tua did coming in, you know, in that championship game in 2018. Um, and I know that they do have a lot of weapons in Alabama. Like we have, I probably should fear Mac Jones, but he, you know, if, if you don't have that fear, like, is that guy really the best player in college football? I don't know. I don't think so. No Joe Burrow. Right. That's true. Thank God. All right. Well, uh, you know, the, the unfortunate part of this, this game, you know, it's bittersweet indeed uh, to see the celebration of Travis Etienne, Trevor Lawrence and the seniors um, guys. Like we haven't talked much about Etienne in this game the running game was not a focus of the offensive play calling, but you know, it just, we've, we've talked all season. You got to cherish these games, every snap that you can see ETN touch the ball. It's just a a living legend doing his thing. Um, Really honored to be a Clemson fan and and watch this guy, you know, carry the rock for Clemson. And you just wish he would have had a little bit more of like a curtain call going out, I guess. Um, Team. I don't think did that. I know the broadcast cut away a little bit from the end of the game, but um, I don't believe they got back on the field, but what ETN had two touchdowns in this game. It's not like he came up empty handed, but uh, I don't know. I guess just, I want to give you guys the chance to, uh, I don't know, cast some adoration toward ETN. Well, the, the cool thing is these past several years, as opposed to, you know, seven, eight, nine years ago, beginning of the Dabu era is that you used to, when you had your senior day, you had, if, if it wasn't the last game of the regular season, then you had probably like one away game left and a bowl game. So only two more games to watch these guys. As it goes now, you often have, well, and we have for the past five years, the ACC championship game and one and more often than not two playoff games. And if you throw in an extra weekend there at the end of the year to have a, your last game be an away game, we still get to watch them four more 
play four more times. So that takes the bite off of it a little bit, knowing that your most important games are still ahead of you and you're going to get to see them shine on that stage. Um, but it is a little, I mean, it, you know, and we joke about it. There's no way in hell they're, they're exercising their extra year to come or ETN's not to come back next year. And we know Trevor is not going to come back next year. Um, and it yeah. is, it is bittersweet to see them run down that hill the last time. It sucks for both of them that they weren't able to play in, in front of a, a full stands in Death Valley this year. I mean, not just them, you know, the, the other seniors, Cornell Powell, unless he comes back, I'll take him back. Um, Amari Rogers. Um, so, I mean, it sucks for them more than anything, but, uh, you know, their focus is on winning a national championship. It's not that other stuff. And listen, they know how much they're loved in the Clemson uniform. Um, and it truly has been a spectacular honor to, to be able to watch them. It's just been so, uh, you get excited. And that's the reason you don't care about the blowouts and how boring the games can be is because you get to see those guys go off game in and game out. And that's why it's so frustrating when ETN has 58 yards or whatever in a game, right? Um, can't get much going on the ground against Notre Dame, but at least they've involved in the passing game this year. And it's just been, for him specifically, it's been awesome to see his evolution as a running back over these four years and how he's gotten a little bit better at, at what he does great throughout the years, but then also has greatly improved on the things that he didn't do so great. Obviously, his catching out of the backfield. His pass blocking is still a work in progress, but he's certainly gotten better at that. Um, but yeah, just to see the evolution of him, and then obviously three years with Trevor Lawrence, um, we're spoiled to, to have guys like this and be able to watch them be fans of these guys. Yeah, yeah, for Etienne, I'll say, you know, I think you hit on a lot of the, the sentimental parts, Ben. So I'll just say he is one rare exception. And they touched on this in the broadcast where a running back comes back to college, uh, who is a second round pick and actually improved his stock. And it actually was a good business decision because he, he, you know, pretty much the story of his whole Clemson career. He doesn't have a lot of mileage on him. Yeah. Uh, didn't, he hasn't, you know, he's, he's had, looks like 132 attempts, but in a, in a year with COVID, like he's not going to have even play that many games. So, and, and the, like you were saying, Ben, he did shore up the parts of his game that were a weakness that probably made him a second round pick. It's clear, at least in McShay's book, with, you know, you take that with a grain of salt, but he's the number one running back. And it, it seems like he will be a first round pick this year. So good on Etienne. I'm, I'm glad he's going to get paid. And he's not going to go probably in the top 10, 15 of the draft, like, because running backs usually fall deeper into the first round. So he's going to actually possibly get on a decent team. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah. Well, I, I thought like worst case, he goes to the jets in uh, round two after Trevor goes in round one. I thought that'd be a pretty cool little combination. Don't wish the jets on anybody. man. <laughs> All right, so just the 52 points uh, for Clemson, all those scored on offense. Um, so nice nice to get off the snide there a little bit and come back into Death Valley last game of the season at home. I'm going to put up that type of performance. Guys, why don't we flip it over to the defense? Guys, pretty stellar defensive performance in this game. Got a few of our starters back and really flexed the depth of this defense. Um, we had seen a lot of that depth show its head or show its face basically in the Boston college and Notre Dame games. But in this game, it was, it really felt like those pieces were plugged in more in a natural fitting spot, you know, behind the capable starters. And you really got guys like Trenton Simpson into more of their ideal natural position. And a guy like Malcolm green, who um, really fit well in that nickel position and a little bit of a different look um, schematically, uh, 
uh, from this or, you know, rotationally or um, from a, from a look standpoint uh, from the defense. So this felt like the most complete defensive performance for Clemson. Um, and that's before you factor in eight tackles for loss, six sacks. And how many picks was it? Four picks on the day? Four picks, My one goodness. fumble. One fumble recovery. So, uh, yeah, just an all-out all ass-kicking, you know, he'll, he'll be to Brent Venables. Yeah, phenomenal job by him. His creativity um, in the formations, we already, obviously already talked about Trent Simpson and Malcolm Green being out there. But it also helps when you've got a guy like T Tyler Davis back in there and then the quarterback of your defense and Jamie Skalski. I mean, just talk about the pressure alone that, that, that Tyler Davis um, creates and um, what that does to stymie an offense. I mean, not only is he able to take double teams and get a push into the back backfield, but that frees up Brian Brisset, right, to get in there and cause havoc. Um, and then you move Trent Simpson to the – uh, split out a defensive end to use utilize his speed and quickness to get to the quarterback not to mention Xavier Thomas was in there disrupting things he had a forced fumble um, it just makes a huge difference and we, we talked about this year you know over the past few years is it all starts with that defensive front you know they did an amazing job last year in switching to the three four and were able to put up the defensive numbers that they were able to but if they're going to be a truly elite defense and a, you know, a championship level defense, it all comes down to that, that, that front four and them being able to get pressure. And Tyler Davis is, is the cog um, in that. And you saw it in this game. Um, and Notre Dame is going to see a very different looking defense. Should we play them here again in a couple weeks? Yeah, a couple points to that. You know, we saw the wrinkle with Trenton Simpson. We talked about that earlier. I also noticed Miles Murphy playing on the inside. And I wonder if that's something where we're just trying to get more athletes on the field because I think it's not just about uh, pass rush and getting to the quarterback. It's just having athlete, like the athletes to make plays in space. So I wonder if that is what Brent Venables is going for. Um, and, and maybe it's just a function of Pittsburgh's offense being more hurry up and just having, you know, um, you know better – you know, uh, conditioned athletes on the field. Maybe that's why, but yeah, I think, I think what you're saying is like how we'll look against Notre Dame, you know, our, our good friend of the pod, Dan, who is a Notre Dame grad, I'd spoke with him last weekend. And, and I told him like not having Tyler Davis was and, and Skalski was such a big impact. And he, he really, he didn't agree. He's like, no way you guys have, you know, all these players. He's like, how, how much of an impact could they possibly have made? And I, I just, I told him, I said, well, I guess you'll find out in a couple of weeks. So I'm really hoping they're healthy and, and COVID free in a couple of weeks so they can make their uh, mark on that game. Well, Davis, you know, a future top five draft pick probably. Um, I mean, that makes a difference. Um, and these aren't household names. And that's why he probably brushes them off is, you know, even national announcers still don't know about these guys. And let's throw Mike Jones in there too. Um, but yeah, I think it comes down to Davis and Skowski and, you're right, Cody. Pitt was playing with very fast pace in this game. So the fact that we had all these young guys out there on the field, not just, um, you know, Green and, and Trent Simpson, but, you know, Charleston was in there um, early, getting a lot of playing time. Um, with Landon Zanders being out, Ray Thornton was in there. Um, so these young guys that ha don't have as much experience were able to, to hold it together and play so well and get all those turnovers. Um, it, 
you know, it really speaks to the defensive scheming and having those weeks off to get everything in place, but also just having your two proven guys and your leaders um, in the middle on the field, it just makes everybody else better. Yeah, I wanted to ask you guys, like with a fully, I don't know, fully staffed up roster, like how do you think this fares against that Ian book scrambling attack? Um, like which pieces do you think are put in a position to prevent and stop him? I feel like that's where Simpson is sort of that Sam defensive end position can be a little bit more of a spy against Ian book. And you also think, you know, James Skalski, um, you would allow him to play a little bit more of his natural role. Whereas Jake Venables, I think was, you know, again, did an admirable job, you know, in backup duties. Uh, but Skalski just has a lot, perhaps just a more developed instincts for what's going on on the field and how to communicate and direct guys around. Um, so I think like that's, that's probably the aspect of that Notre Dame game that um, when we rematch, I feel like number one, how much time Ian book has and his capability to scramble and get loose for pesky first down yardage or, you know, six yards instead of a sack. Um, we might see Clemson's players get home also because you've got guys like Brzee, Miles Murphy in their proper positions and Xavier Thomas as well. Um, he's, he's a great pass rusher, but he's also great in tracking guys down um, who escaped the pocket. So I think that's, that just tells you the importance of Tyler Davis. Um, so yeah, I, again, I think maybe I answered my own question. I feel like I feel very confident in shutting down Ian book um, in terms of Notre Dame's offense, less sure about stopping their running attack. I don't necessarily know. I mean, Pitt ran the ball only 24 times in this game. They threw it 43 times. So that is uh, not necessarily something we've seen this Clemson team go up against a run first attack yet and shut them down. And that is going to be something that will be important in the playoff against a potential Alabama foe. Yeah. I don't know. You guys tell me, I mean, is Tyler Davis kind of the most important piece to a defense that we've seen here in the past several years, uh, just because when you take him out of this lineup, it's a completely different look across the defensive line. This isn't 2000. 18 where Dexter Lawrence can't play in the in the championship game or in the playoffs where you still have Farrell and Brian and Christian Wilkins out there um, and um, Albert Huggins who plays played in the NFL still on a practice squad somewhere I think um, you know it's you, you've got younger really talented guys but still have a lot of learning to do you've got some upperclassmen as backups but you know they're not world beaters. So I think Tyler Davis means more to this defense than we've had any one singular player in quite some time, maybe last year with Isaiah Simmons. Okay. We got to give him credit for that, but Isaiah Simmons also covered up for a lot of weaknesses last year across the defensive line. Yeah. Isaiah's, I mean, but he's, he's almost on that level just for the reasons you, you mentioned, because we don't have a ton of depth there. We don't have the, the game changing talent that we've that we had you know three years ago at least in terms of depth so yeah i think he's that important and he make yeah he, he makes everyone better i mean it's you see how, how like brissy getting to do some uh, some cleanup work he, he ensures that you don't get double teams on your defensive ends so it's like yeah he's he's that big of a difference maker and yeah and he's like i think qt said he was at playing at an all-american level earlier this year it's the quietest All-American season I've ever seen. But, yeah, I'd have to agree with that. Guys, I know um, we've probably spent less time this season talking about the advanced stats um, than any season in the past. Some of that's due to availability of the data. Um, but Clemson right now quietly 
I feel like in, um, you know, kind of the national rankings, defensive S&P plus uh, Clemson right now is the number seven defense. And in um, the FEI rankings, which is like another advanced statistical uh, measure, Clemson basically has the number one ranked uh, defensive ratings efficiency uh, kind of ranking. So, and that's with, you know, missing some of these guys throughout the season. And a lot of these are opponent adjusted. So I, I want to go back. I mean, I feel like in our season preview show, we, we had a lot of high hopes for the defensive line being renewed, uh, getting a lot out of the secondary. I think we've seen flashes from both, both units this season do really well. Uh, but I think we were talking about like top 10, top 15 defense and not, you know, top five or even, you know, challenging for the top one to two spots in the country. And to, to be at that level in the advanced stats while still having injuries throughout the season. Um, again, you know, we got to give hats off to Brent Venables for that, but it also does underline the quality of depth that Clemson has. Um, but yeah, Ben, no doubt he's an MVP. Um, and I think it does underline, you know, the importance of recruiting though, and the importance of hitting, hitting your guys. And I can't just help it, but think like, you get, you get a guy like Josh Bellick, you get Rook Aroraro, uh, be injured or out for this season. And it, then you're, then you're backing him up with, you know, guys that have been on the team for a while, but are, they're really not, you know, able to replace Tyler Davis and Niles Pinkney. So um, that's the difference between, again, like losing to Notre Dame a double OT and, you know, a, a clean 10 point victory. Yeah. It's funny. You know, the defensive line is the area that we thought was going to be the most dominant this year especially after last year. Um, then we go and, you know, you, you lose Xavier Thomas, who probably wouldn't have played this year or not. He probably would have played just the four games towards the end of the season. Um, but his issues with COVID. Um, Justin Foster has been out the entire season. We forget how good he was going to be. Um, and then we're, you know, replacing AJ uh, uh, Terrell at corner. Um, we're replacing safeties. Uh, we're replacing guys at linebacker. You're losing Isaiah Simmons, obviously. So, yeah, it's like, oh, man, we're going to take a step back. And the emergence of the young guys and the way they've been able to be coached up, and we've seen their progression, and we talk about this every year. Don't judge the team by how they look in the first games of the season. Like, we throw in freshmen and redshirt freshmen and sophomores, you know, and get their feet wet early on, and they progress throughout the year. And you've seen that this year. You've seen Andrew Booth uh, just come on and make amazing plays uh, throughout the year. And then you've – you know, you saw Malcolm Green come in in this game and make a splash. Trent Simpson, the last several games, has been playing really well. So it's just guys across the board that have continued to develop and get better as, you, as the year goes along. And they're living up to their recruiting bill, billing. And that's why they were rated so high and why Clemson coaches went after them on their recruiting trail. Um, it's because these guys can play. They just need a little time to get into the system. We play more young guys than anybody in the country. Um and so you're going to have a little bit, bit of those growing pains early on in the season, but that's why we play so many people. Um, and that's why we have uh, such depth developed across so many positions. And in the long run, at the end of the season, that's where it, that's where it, um, it works out well for you and it pays dividends. Yeah. So bad news for the ACC. You're talking about all the young talent, Ben, like almost everyone returns next year. I don't like to look ahead to years when we, we are squarely in the national championship hunt, but that defense is going to be nasty because mm-hmm. all, all the defensive linemen should come back and they should be better because the, you know, the most of them are freshmen and sophomores right now. So 
And then, uh, you know, that the cornerbacks are coming along. DK didn't play. Fred Davis looks good. Malcolm Green looks good. You, Trent Simpson's going to be a star starting probably this postseason, if not next season. So it's a, it's a good, yeah, nice I think, collection. I of think talent. this past Saturday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, and look, like we're talking about Notre Dame, we're looking ahead. Um, Pitt's offense coming into this game was on a roll, on a bit of a roll. Pickett's a good quarterback. He is a good quarterback. He'll end up on an NFL team of a practice squad at least. Yeah, he definitely seems like one of those quarterbacks that you're like, where did he go to college again? But he just yeah. ends up like he's he seems like a tough kid, really mentally, mentally strong. And um, I don't know. Pitt, this Pitt team was a very Pitt team is all I will say. Yeah. Uh, but he you know, he's not as bad as four picks and 17 points on the day would indicate. I know one of those touchdowns was sort of a gift off of a Trevor Lawrence fumble to start the second half. But, you know, I, I, I think like this, what I, what I mean to say is this Clemson defense played a very capable, very strong, like strong momentum pit team and basically neutralized them entirely in the first half. So uh, taking that as a big win as well. Yeah. Just speaking of pit themselves, um, great addition to the ACC. Syracuse can take him or leave him as much as we like Dino Babers. Um, we equally dislike Jim Beheim. So um, I think great addition to the Scott, Scott Schaefer before yeah. Babers too. Um, great, great addition to the, the ACC. I think, you know, their team is going to come in and play hard um, game in and game out. They're not going to ever go undefeated or anything like that, but they bring some a, a level of credibility to your conference. Um, and I enjoy playing them. Um, you're going to play a football team that plays hard. Um, Narduzzi, I like Narduzzi as a coach. Um, so, yeah, I mean, hats off to them. They they didn't give up in this game. Like part of that lack of uh, focus that we talked about there at the beginning of the second half was in part because they didn't act like they were down 31 to nothing at the end of the first quarter, right? That's That's a fighter's mentality. That is – the complete opposite of what the mentality is at Florida state right now. Yeah. Yeah. I have respect for, for Pitt and, and even BC, like yeah. you know, these big East editions, um, more, probably less so Miami, which who is supposed to be the, you know, the crown jewel of the, the big East, but anyhow um, yeah, I think they were a formidable opponent that, you know, they, they gave us a test. And I think, you know, speaking of like not giving up, I think the broadcast team gave up after like the first quarter. I don't know if you guys were listening to the, the game. They, they, were, were, uh, they were complaining about the, uh, all the reviews and replays and how long they were taking. Yeah. I, mean, I think like, announcers are bred to hate blowouts because then you're not paying, there's not as much action on the field and then they have to fill air and they beat to death. A lot of the Trevor Lawrence narratives in this game. Um, I fast forwarded through a lot of that, but yeah, it, I don't know. But yeah, the, the refereeing, the replay stuff was very ridiculous. Um, I actually feel like the Sean McDonough, Todd Blackledge, and to a much lesser extent, Todd McShay um, trio is probably the best trio in college football. I personally don't care much for Chris Fowler um, in, the, in the chief spot, but they're at least like top three or four that's out there um, yeah. with this crew. And, um, you know, I, I would like to have seen them call the Notre Dame game, for instance, like um, but that one was on NBC. <laughs> wow. That's bold. Totally. I mean, Herb street alone is, 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 is worth dealing with Fowler, uncle Chris. True. 
No, I'm with you on that. And I really like Maria Taylor too, although I don't know that she's been, I don't think she's been doing sideline duty this year, but no, you're right. Herbie's, Herbie's tops, but Fowler, man, I just don't think football is his thing. Here we are anyway. complaining about the announcers filling, <laughs> filling, air, filling air because it was a blowout. Talk about filling air. Exactly. <laughs> um, if Chris look- Fowler is listening to us on a, on a plane ride, trying to get up on Clemson, I'm, I know Greg McElroy's done this before, and he's like, these guys are giving me shit about my broadcasting. <laughs> we don't get paid, I think, Greg. I think you're right, Cody. I forget the, the game where uh, he called a game, and I swear to you that he regurgitated a talking point that we had on this show. It was like three or four talking points. It was, like, That's a smart guy. He's, he's listening to our podcast <laughs> to learn about the team, how the fans feel about the team. Yeah, definitely happened. Um, all right. Well, look, like Pitt, not world beaters, not statistical offensive juggernaut, but, you know, capable team kind of on a hot streak coming into this one. Um, so I, I don't know, guys, like, again, saw what we needed to see out of defensive playmakers and stars and knock on wood seemed like most, most of the team remained healthy through this game. Um, I understand Brzee had, you know, some heavy, heavy wrapping going on on his leg, uh, but he, he certainly looks spry in this game. And he, he tracked down Pickett and showcased why he really was like a top top one or two um, recruit in the nation coming into this season. So, you know, the future is bright. Um, we, I've, I've actually been a little surprised how little we've kind of called his name out as um, making incredible plays. But now that Tyler Davis is back, I think you're going to start to see that. the promise yeah, of Brzee come out. <laughs> I, it may just be me, but I think he gets winded every once in a while because every once in a while I see some plays where he just starts his rush and then just stops. He doesn't do The much. air is really thin up there, man. Like, you know, there's less oxygen. In Death Valley. Nice. Oh, he's, he's a tall dude. Oh. I, I think, well, a couple of days. I think he is playing in it's a valley. Yeah, oxygen levels in the valley. Anyhow, I, I think he's injured. Geography. And I, I also think um, – I think he, he there's some bad form that he needs to work on in the offseason. Sure. His pad level's high. He loses leverage a lot, so I think he's exerts probably more energy than he should. But those are the things, like, he's going to be a monster next year once he gets that down. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we talked about it a few episodes ago. We're going to have Xavier Thomas, Tyler Davis, Brian Versay, Miles Murphy as your starting front four. Corey Foreman. This year. Throw in possibly Foreman, and then you've also got Henry, Justin Foster will come back. Yeah, Monty nobody... Capehart in the middle. Oh, good lord! Nobody's scoring on us next year. Not to mention like Kane Patterson and Levante Bentley. They're gonna be really good too. Yeah, I think we've got the future Power Ranger type domination coming on the D line up front, and it's great this year to see. And I think I think this may be the peak for the moment, at least, of linebackers um, that we'll we'll start to see sort of in the back seven. Really excited to get DK back on the field. That dude's a fierce competitor. Don't really know what was going on. It seemed like a coach's decision about him not playing in the Pittsburgh game, but uh, well, they've already one, talked about yeah him one of the coming back for Tech. One of the announce or one of the media asked Davo in his post game, I think, um, if DK was in the doghouse, and Davo responded, "Now he's in the love shack." So seems like some sort of discipline issue. 
Yeah, I think so. And th- and that's unfortunate. He's in, he's in a money year and he's a legit at, at this point, there's no way he's a first round draft pick, but I think, you know, he could, he could be in the upper rounds of the draft. So I think Dabo wants to put a little PR spin on it, but at this point, I think it makes all the sense in the world for him to come back next year. So we'll take him. Yeah, we will. Him and Booth is your starting corners next year. Good. Yeah. That's a pretty good duo with Fred Davis and Sheridan Jones's backups. Yeah. Nobody's scoring, man. It's going to be good. All right. Well, uh, Notre Dame, this is your only chance. It's going to be a good game. Special teams, guys. Will Spires, BT Potter, pretty consistent. Potter missed a field goal in this one. Spires had some solid kicks. Um, Pitt seemed to get some good penetration, though. I think a couple of those, uh, they, you know, barely missed the outreach hands of the defender. Um, but yeah, you know, consistency from those guys. Um, you know, I, we kind of glossed over in the offensive recap uh, the game that Lynn J. Dixon had. I thought he acquitted himself well in this one on the offensive side. You know, looked to have a little bit more burst in the running game. Uh, but for the most part, it, you know, Pitt wasn't exactly scoring tons of touchdowns. We didn't have a lot of kick, kick returns. Um, but it seems like Clemson is favoring the, uh, the touchback, which I like, or the, you know, the fair catch. And uh, fair catch seems to be the name of the game, the punting game. Honestly, like I tweeted about this during the game, like Clemson seems to always go up against, you know, the Australian or the Ray Guy Award finalist from opposing offense, from opposing teams, opposing offenses um, in the punting game. And we just really don't get the chance to see Amari Rogers, like even attempt too many punt returns, which is a, which is a damn shame. Well, I think part of that is by design too. just, just get the offense, the ball um, and let them go at it. You know, field position is not so much good yeah, with us on offense. I think, yeah, I mean, my, my biggest takeaway from special teams and I'll hand it over to Cody to, to educate us um, is just, also, don't take for granted what it means to have BT Potter kicking off and putting it out of the back of the end zone every single time. You saw it when Aiden Swanson came in there and had some had a couple of short kickoffs and they had the opportunity to return. And you remember several years ago where we couldn't stop anybody on kickoff returns. Um, just the consistency of having teams start at the 25-yard line um, certainly helps our defense. Not that they need much help, but that's a huge asset. Yeah, my question is, why is the ACC loaded with these these guys that can boom the ball, the, the Ray Guy Award winners, and why can't Clemson do that? You know, I see, why I see Vanderbilt SEC teams. Yeah, I see, <laughs> I see SEC teams. You know, going to their soccer teams, and <laughs> why can't why can't Clemson do that? It's, it's not a very. <laughs> I mean, we yeah. don't we don't recruit that heavily. Although we have some good, we have some really good kickers on the team right now. Listen, Will, Will Spires has, has come along well, but um, yeah. So you know, we sent Bradley Pinion. He left early and was like a sixth round draft pick. I mean, when does that ha- when does that happen for punters? Hey, it's better now than it has been. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm not complaining. I think it's improved, and I think there's a nice little pipeline of talent that comes through. Yeah or that that's going to be coming through. So I, I think we're in a good spot. That's just a situation where again, you know, on those, on those punts, um, you really would like to see top line talent starting to get in there and, you know, give Spires the room to, to boot that 45 yard, 50 yard punt uh, could make, could be a huge difference maker in a big game down the stretch. So 
Um, again, we, you know, I think that's been one component of the team. You've seen some mistakes during the year, plenty to clean up. I don't have a huge amount of concern that that's going to dog the team down the stretch. Yeah. My best advice moving forward is just don't punt. No fourth downs. Score touchdowns. Is that what you're saying? Just yeah. Score. Interesting strategy. All right. Well, uh, great win against Pitt. Virginia Tech coming up in this one. They're actually going to be one of the more potent offenses Clemson will have faced. That being said, they're facing a rash of opt-outs and transfer portal. I guess you could call it defections from the team. Seems like Justin Fuente may be on the verge of losing that team. He's got an enormous buyout. So, I don't know. My money is probably on him returning next season. But he seems very much like a lame duck coaching situation there. And he may not be long for that job. Um, Virginia Tech's in a bad way. I think if we were facing them three, four weeks ago, it would be a completely different game, a completely different team Clemson will face. So not a ton to report. They're very RPO-focused offense, and they really have no more, defense to More R than anything. Yeah, and Hendon Hooker is their quarterback. Um, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of fun tweets about that. I think they're, and... starting, they're starting back as uh, averages over like eight yards of carry. Um, again, yeah, so we said earlier, yeah, we said earlier, like Clemson hasn't necessarily faced a very run oriented offense. So I think that's going to be really interesting to see personnel wise, kind of how BV schemes up against that, but, um, should be a handy Clemson victory up there in Blacksburg. My biggest thing is come out of there healthy, um, hopefully rest some starters and get some more of that depth in there. Do you think Shane Beamer has not accepted the South Carolina job yet because he's waiting to see if the Virginia Tech job opens up? It's a serious question. You know, anything's possible, Ben. There's probably some validity to that. Great color commentary. (laughs) Hey, how about South Carolina? It, It was weird not playing them on Thanksgiving. I will say that. I mean, if you're going to see a blowout, I would technically rather us see beat South Carolina 52 to 17 than Pitt. Yeah. I don't think they would have scored 17. Oh, no. I think if given the chance to opt out of the season, South Carolina would follow FSU into the opt-out group. It's plausible. And Helensky is still their quarterback, right? He's just hurt this year. No, 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 no. He's like third string now. But he's hurt this year. Is he hurt? I believe so. Yeah, I don't think well, he's they, they, had the, they had the, Col- the, the Colorado State transfer start the season, and now they've got the other guy um, who has come on the last game or so. It looks like he's going to take over the starter's role. Maybe he is, is hurt. I don't know. But the Colorado State guy, I thought, won the job outright at the beginning of the season. Hmm. I was just going to say, like, you know, every program has like a little bit of hope and something, right? And sometimes maybe the hope's just firing your coach. You have to just have a, a clean slate. But I thought Helensky was one of their like bright spots. Is that not the case anymore? Yeah. Well, and it looks like Colin Hill did beat him out. And yeah, I'm Dodie, looking... Dodie played this weekend against Dodie, Georgia, though. Yeah. Their third stringer. Hmm. Yeah. I don't, he might transfer. Speaking of dumpster fires. You hate to see it. Yeah. So Virginia Tech is is likely to be Clemson's last regular season game. Looks like the ACC is cleaning the slate for Notre Dame to not have to play Wake Forest in the last week of the regular season. Uh, That was going to be the game that Clemson was going to look to rematch with Florida State. 
Um, but I think everyone's going to assume that we're going to beat Virginia Tech, and then Miami will essentially be eliminated from the ACC championship game. Uh, so yeah, I think you know we texted about it earlier. Looks like the ACC is setting things up for both Clemson and Notre Dame to have another week off before the ACC championship game. Uh, I think it's really smart. I think what you do with that is you get both teams healthy. Ideally, you can also you know have time for any you know oncoming COVID situations um, without having to miss games and put any of the season at risk. So um, hopefully both teams can remain healthy, kind of stay in their respective bubbles. And that, you know, there's still very much the chance, and we'll use this as an opportunity to pivot to the CFP rankings, still very much a viable chance that the ACC can get two teams into the playoff. And I think it's really shrewd for the ACC to try to set up that, you know, as good of a national game as possible in the title game with both teams healthy. Yeah, I mean, protect your own. I think it was a smart move by the ACC as well, um, especially since uh, had Notre Dame played Wake Forest uh, as a scheduled makeup game on December 12th, not only would they have not gotten a week off prior to the ACC championship game like we would have or we will, um, they also would have played one more game than Clemson. So I think it makes total sense to kind of put both teams on a level playing field. There's no excuses. And you also – you know, the, the amount that you can limit uh, the risk of a COVID spread by not having these kids travel, um, <clears throat> like we were at bigger risk traveling to Florida State um, and getting exposed some other way than the one guy on the team that, that tested positive and then tested negative like a few days later. So it seems like it was, might be a false positive there. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a really smart job by the ACC. I like that both teams have the week off on a level playing field, and there's going to be no excuses going into that ACC championship game, no matter what the outcome is. All right, guys. Uh, week two of the college football playoff rankings came out, and I guess this isn't that shocking. They didn't make any changes to the rankings in the top seven. Um, wasn't a huge shakeup. I guess number eight, Northwestern, uh, lost, so they dropped out. Um, they, they have a really good defense, but no offense to speak of. And the Big Ten just continues to be uh, a little bit of an embarrassment this year. I think they did a lot of this themselves with a late start. Teams didn't really get the right type of season preparation. It was like fits and starts over the summer. Um, and then they left themselves basically no flexibility whatsoever. And we saw Ohio State have to cancel. Again, they, they probably could have made the trip and fielded a team and played the game against Illinois. But I think just in the you know, safety and health of their own team. They opted not to do that to try to keep COVID under control. Um, and their season may be in jeopardy. They may not be able to play against Michigan State or Michigan over the next two weeks. They, they may end the season with five or maybe even six games, whereas Clemson and Notre Dame are going to play 11 games, 10 games. And um, I think Alabama is going to be more in the eight range. So just across the board, very odd year. Um, I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on Clemson, you know, or Notre Dame having a much bigger, you know, deeper schedule, a lot more data points, a lot more wear and tear on the players and the coaching staffs um, versus like the merits of a team like Ohio State. Well, Alabama's going to get, Alabama's going to get 10 games and we're going to get, including an SEC championship game. Um, right. We're going to get, so they, let's they miss see. one game. They won't make up. And we're going to get 11, right? We're going to get 11. Um, Ohio State max is going to get seven games. And I said this kind of at the beginning, if, if 
with the amount of games that the teams playing the most are playing that I think a team in order to be able to qualify should have to play at least eight games. Um, and they're not going to get there. And I think it's unfair uh, to other teams. If Ohio State plays seven games and Clemson plays 11. Um, or Cincinnati plays 11 or 12 and wins right. all 12. Exactly. And it's only two thirds of, of that schedule. And not to mention, they're just going to come in fresher, right? Into a yeah, college football that, playoff without wearing a chair on their body. So listen, like you said, they did it to themselves. Like they had the opportunity to play earlier. Like who thought it was a good idea to wait and start your season later when we're getting closer to winter, when there's going to be a COVID spike. We all knew about this. Everybody, the doctors have been talking about this forever. Um, whether or not you agree with the validity of it, that's the facts. Um, so whoever thought that was a good idea, they shot themselves in the foot from the get go. So um, well, yeah, yeah I, mean, I, I don't, I don't think, I, think I, I, don't, it, I don't think it matters what happens from here on out. I don't think Ohio state should be in the, in the, in the playoffs period. I mean, I think you have to about, you have to think about what is the job of the committee and that committee's job is to evaluate resumes, look at resumes and find the four like best suited teams to make the playoff. And is Ohio state. I mean, I think the big question you're going to hear about over the next four weeks, five weeks is, is Ohio state one of the top four best teams in the country? And I think you're giving a lot of credence to previous years and just the right. pedigree of that brand. If you're saying that they are definitively a top four team because their best win is Indiana after that, who's their best win. And what is their? I just don't, I think you need more data points when their schedule is that weak. Um, are they probably, we know their talent, we know their pedigree. They probably are among the top four teams in the country, but I think if there's that big of a disparity in the number of games played like that, that then opens you up to be left out. And then Ben, to your point, just about like parity and fairness and everything else, playing that many fewer games, like does mean that that team is a lot fresher than the Clemson's of the world. And you might say, Oh, but they don't have the game experience. They don't have as many you know opportunities to develop guys and get their, get their game plans worked out. But I don't know. Like maybe you call both of those a wash, but I, again, it just doesn't feel right to. But combine that without out. seeing the product on the field. Right. I mean, listen, the big 10 of the PAC 12 can play a game in March. They, they won't play the Rose bowl, but they could play at the Rose bowl. Cody, what do you I mean, think? You could have a really hard time leaving Notre Dame out. If, if they play Clemson close. Yeah. I even think if they lose by three um, scores and it's tight most of the game, you know, or yeah. they stay within striking distance relatively most like, of the game. Yeah. I think because they've like been like 17 points. Yeah. 17. Notre 21. Dame. I, I think we kind of know what Notre Dame is. They're the team that's, it's a solid team. They, they beat most college football teams in D one, but they go play Alabama and or Clemson and they're going to lose by a few touchdowns in the playoff. But I don't know. Ohio state is clearly that not what they were last year. It doesn't mean that. And I, I think we just have like an insufficient amount of data points for them. Like I, I kind of agree with you guys. I don't know if it's enough to say that they're the best team, but, it, but the other thing, the other factor is who's going to be that other team and Notre Dame might be one. And then I don't know, maybe it's Texas A&M, maybe they're the other, but they have to make a very strong case to nudge Ohio state out. Right. Cause A&M is not going to get to play in their championship game. Because they are playing divisions in, in the SEC, but I would agree I mean, with I you. Do. I mean, I, I think yeah. Texas A&M 
they're a good football team. They legitimately have a shot. It's weird that people are, though, talking about Florida over them, even though Texas A&M beat Florida. I mean, that's going to be answered, um, well, I guess, when Bama plays them in the SEC championship game. But, yeah, yeah I, I think just because of everything else that's going on, that Notre Dame has a much better chance and more kind of margin for error in a loss to Clemson and still to be able to make the playoffs than they did maybe like three or four weeks ago. Um and so right now is I would still say that it sticks kind of to, to how the rankings are outside Ohio State. And since he goes undefeated, wins their conference championship, plays 12 games, put them in, man. They earned it. Like, it's not just don't even talk about the competition, just like I was talking about the Clemson team earlier. The discipline and the focus and the grind to be able to put it in and stay safe, not have any games postponed or cancel and put it in that entire season like. They put in the effort like that. There's you deserve it at that point. I think if you're going up against other like two lost teams, one lost teams that have played nine games or no lost teams that have played seven. So yeah, let them be year, the Justin Ohio. Fields can come back. Let them be the Ohio representative. Yeah, right? exactly. The state still get one gets one in. Okay, they're gonna burn down. Uh, cornfields in the big 10 country if they don't if they don't get a, a team in but again cody they should burn down their just, their conference headquarters which is right. probably in a cornfield <laughs> that's probably in a parking lot in indianapolis strip mall i was gonna say milwaukee but yeah you're right totally um so yeah no surprises this this whole thing may not change for a few more weeks um or at least a couple more i think the the chessboard pieces remain like Florida is going to have every chance to move up. They control their fate. They're going to play Bama guys watch Auburn beat Florida this week. And that would just be chaotic. I don't know what that would mean for the sec East champion though. Like, that Georgia would not be able to get in because Florida has the head to head against them. Right. Um, yeah, so that would put, I think that's right. They both have two losses. They both have Florida two losses. Head head. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, Florida will have lost both of its games against SEC West opponents if that goes down. So anyway, yeah. A&M just has to hope that Bama handles Florida and either Clemson loses or Notre Dame gets blown out in order to get in and I then mean, Ohio State not to rise up. Yeah. AM has Auburn and Tennessee left, so they could end the season eight and one. Right. It's still it's I do you put a ten and one do you put them in ahead of a ten and one Notre Dame team that has a win over Clemson and a loss to Clemson and that's it? Right. I don't think you do. And it you could kind of say Notre Dame like won its division, right? Because they played in a championship game. Um, yeah, I mean, there was second I'm, I'm probably not as worried about AM being like the third team in as much as like the fourth team. And then you're like an 11 and 0 or a 12 and 0 Cincinnati who won its conference in pretty dominant fashion. Like, do you put them in over AM? You also look at AM. I mean, listen, I know what their record is only lost to Alabama, but they beat Vandy 17 to 12. Um, yeah, they got they beat, blown out by Bama too. They only beat like, Mississippi State by, by two touchdowns, they beat Arkansas by 11 points. Um, they beat LSU 20 to seven. Is that impressive? No, it really isn't. Um, yes. And that's the thing, like Cody, I think you talked in a prior show about like letting these teams in 
feels like an Oklahoma. Like we're just going to continue to let like a power five team in. That's like, you know, that I don't know. They're clearly not a top two, top three team. And we're just going to kind of let them in be like the, the fourth wheel. Um, why not have this be the year you let a group of five team in? Yeah, but I was making the the opposite argument of that of saying if Oklahoma is going to fare this poorly, just imagine how a Cincinnati or a USF or UCF would do. But I I, I agree with your your logic there. Let's see it. I mean, can they they can't do much worse. Here's a they actually have a defense though. That's the thing. Like, yeah, they probably still would get worked. Like Alabama's got the number one offense in the country. We all know what Clemson can do. I mean, maybe Cincinnati and Notre Dame would be interesting, but I don't – unless Notre Dame beats Clemson, I don't see that playing out. Iowa State's a team that's going to be kicking themselves or should be. They, they entered uh, the rankings at nine this week. They're a seven and two team. Um, if it wasn't for that week one loss to Louisiana. Oh, my gosh. They'd be eight yeah. and one right now with the chance to go ahead and win the Big 12 Conference, and I think a one-loss uh, Big 12 Conference champion gets in. But at yeah. this point, they're all two lost teams. And I know Louisiana's had a good year, um, and they've been ranked most of the year. Um, but still not a game you should lose. I mean, their only loss is to Coastal Carolina, which is an undefeated team. Lost to them by three. So they're a good football team. But yeah, still, I have a hard time putting you in with that loss. Um, and then they've – Iowa State only has a three-point uh, loss at Oklahoma State. So, gosh, they were so close. And they've got a good quarterback in Bryce Purdy. And they've got a really good running back who's leading the NCAA in most statistical categories for running backs. That'd be a fun team to watch. Guys, let me flip the script here just a little bit. Who scares you right now in college football? I feel like it's a pretty short list. Our offensive line getting COVID. That's what scares me. (laughs) Is it just one team, though? Is it just one team or is it two teams or is it three? Yeah, Bama, I think, is, I mean, legitimately ranked number one, but they're also not Bama of yesteryear, right? They're not Bama of um, three years ago, 2016, 2015, not even 2018. Oh, that 18 team was really good. Yeah, oh, they were the best college football team ever. I don't know if you heard. Hey, I'm not saying that sarcastically they were a really good team no i know the best teams ever i was saying that sarcastically though yeah but point being i I think they're the yeah go ahead tilly well i was gonna ask like where are you on that equation like does notre dame scare you we could all right so we could beat them but a lot of things would have to go wrong uh and and it happens sometimes but we got a nice little beat us you mean I'm, I'm sorry. They could beat us, but a lot of things would have to go wrong. A lot of 50, 50 balls. I mean, it happened in the first go round and I just, it would just the probability of it. Yeah. I don't think we're going to lose them. And I think the greater likelihood is that we win by 10 points or more. I feel pretty good about that. And we'll was, find out. I was talking to my best friend who's a Notre Dame fan. And I was talking to him on the phone the other day and he was like, man, nobody in the national media, everybody is assuming that Clemson's going to win and can Notre Dame get in with the loss to Clemson? And he's like, to be fair, I don't think Notre Dame's going to win. <laughs> Nobody does. Dan, Dan might but, be the only one. <laughs> but their fans thought we were going to beat them even with losing Lawrence. Like, So maybe Notre Dame fans are just conditioned. They're like Jets fans at this point. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, Davis and Skowski are, though. That's their problem. It, yeah, I 
I just can't square. Like it, sometimes it feels too much. Like everyone assumes X is going to happen and they are, they are a talented team. They're, they play good defense. They run the ball well. Um, and they got a quarterback. That's kind of a magician that can kind of just make stuff happen. And it wasn't like, just us missing guys in that game. They actually played really well. They played a good football. Game. They really did. They played right. better. They were better passing the ball than I thought they would be. Ian book did some really great things with his legs. They have two really good running backs and they've got a strong defense and they're great in the trenches. They're a good football team. They're a really good football team. The fact that they played well says a lot though. They played well and they barely beat us. It says a lot. I don't think it's a 38 to three or whatever it was, or the last time they were in the national championship and got beat down to Alabama there. I think they're a much better team than that. And I think they're due a lot more credit this year. Um, and are much more worthy of their ranking than they have been in years past. Yeah, I mean, they're number four SP plus overall. They're top 10 in offense and defense. They're a pretty complete team. You know, they don't have the high-end talent that Clemson or Alabama have or the depth at those positions. But, um, yeah, I, I think we all, for reasons already stated on this show, see Clemson as the much better team. Um, but not a lot would have to go wrong to make that game a very tight game. So let me ask you this. Um, Bama wins out, right? They get the number one seed in college football playoff. Clemson beats Notre Dame. Um, let's call it a two-score game. Since he goes undefeated, they put them in. Do they put Notre Dame at three or do they put Notre Dame at four? Do you line up the Clemson-Notre Dame number three rematch right away to ensure that you have it um, and just let Alabama – you know, yeah. Kill Cincinnati and be like, this I think is you your, do that. This is a reward for getting in. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think Clemson would have to beat Notre Dame by for Notre Dame to stay in, but hit that four spot and then move Cincy up to, <laughs> up to three. Are you, I guess in order to get Cincy in, let's go ahead and I'm assuming their eyes by now. No, no, no. Like let's assume like A&M loses Florida gets yeah. blown out by 50 to Bama. I'm assuming these Kyle are the Trask. four teams in the playoff. Yeah. Because of every other things that happen. Right? Yeah, other chaos just makes it so obvious it's got to be Cincy. And since he finds a way to schedule BYU and bludgeons them, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe Clemson by four touchdowns pushes NDE to fourth. Sure. But you're saying like no one gets in over Notre Dame yeah. either, that they're like the fourth team. Yeah. yeah, I don't know, like 21 points might do it. Yeah, I think it depends if it's like, if it's 21 points at the end of the game, but we've been leading for like four or five scores, four scores, let's right. say five is ridiculous. I don't think it would beat them that much. Um, yeah, yeah. Or if it's a pretty tight game and then we end up winning by three scores. I think we're playing Notre Dame three times. That's awesome. No, I, I don't think under any circumstance, I agree. I disagree. I think under no circumstance will we get a three. three. Uh, yeah, three I think match. they're going to three match. They're going to be in the number four slot and Clemson's going to slide into two. I mean, there's, yeah, I don't see a world where we leapfrog Alabama just because we have the one loss. Even if, though it's Clemson beats Notre, if Clemson beats Notre Dame by three and since he gets in, I think Notre Dame's ranked third. Yeah. I agree with you, Ben. I don't They're going to be so. like, since he, you barely got in and then Notre Dame, it's like, Cody, well, you you, Michigan yeah. is going to be <laughs> Good throughout the entire Harbor Harbor. Okay, how's that going for you? Did you say Harbor Harbor? Harbor. It's getting late. Hey, I'm getting. Guys, I'm willing to put down a friendly wager right now with 
I would say that under no circumstance, because it seems likely not certain that Clemson will play Notre Dame or it will beat Notre Dame in the ACC championship game. And someone, you know, someone's got to slide in, but well, I guess that that's assuming a high state doesn't make it. So it's unlikely, but I'll put down a $10 wager that they will not slot Notre Dame in the thir- into the third spot. Yeah, I'm, it's, it's the least likely of the scenarios. I'm just saying it's a possibility. Hypothetical. Well, the, a very likely outcome is uh, Florida beats Alabama, Clemson beats Notre Dame handily, Clemson's number one. Could Notre Dame fall to four? Bama stays at three. Let's say Florida barely beats Bama. It could be Clemson one, Notre Dame four. That's probably your more likely rematch scenario. Hmm. Well, you know, Florida's unlikely to beat Bama, but that's wait a minute. Then they would have Florida would be in with Bama. So then Florida Bama two, three. Rematch, yeah. rematch. Rematch, I don't... run it back. Run it back. I guess you're right. Well, don't I don't think they'll back. do that. The good news <laughs> for podcast listeners is you can tune in next week for our Virginia Tech <laughs> recap and listen to us talk about this for another 30 minutes for the third week in a row. <laughs> And pretend like we haven't. <laughs> you want to talk about the Notre Dame game again? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, any other pearls of wisdom, guys, about the CFP uh, totem pole here? I think Heck we've uh, exhausted that conversation. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, I don't think there's really very many games of substance nationally this week. Bama plays LSU. Bet the farm on Alabama in that one. Nick Saban will be back and LSU sucks. Um, but yeah. Coastal just, Liberty, baby. College game day. That's going to be cool. That'll be fun. Uh, Vanderbilt goes to Georgia. It's going to be a strong kicking contest. Looking forward to the, the kicking game. What do you mean, Ben? Just it's phenomenal place kicking. That coach got fired. Obviously, they were really mad about his shenanigans. I think it was his record, but yeah, I think so. Could, could be the zero and eight record this year. Yeah, the one um, last year. So, so we will be back in a week. Let's recap some games. Um, glad to still have football. Look, our regular season will likely be over in a week. Can't believe it. The season's flown by. So we got to enjoy every moment here, including the time between games. Um, thanks everyone for tuning in. Fellas, any any parting thoughts? Cornell Powell, baby. He's one of my new favorite Clemson players. Yeah, he talks shit. It's great. And he makes the plays backs back it up. up. He, he backs it up. Totally. Work, he is yeah. working his way into a trap pick. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And I just want to say DJ Uwagalele. Uwagalele. I'm done. I, I was doing it so well before. And as always, go Tigers. <clears throat> Can we get on the same page about DJ's name here for a second? Ui Ungalale. Ui Ungalale. Ooh. Ui Did you do an extra gugale? <laughs> <laughs> Buzzy bubba? Ui Damn, I can't do the second g. Ui Ungalale. 
see your tongue does like that. We agalale. You're you're French. It's easier for you that way. You suck. Yeah, weird it's like took linguistics class. Yeah. We agalale. We agalale. my tongue out enough. We agalale. Sorry, ladies. We we agalale. We agalale. I just have to say it. We agalale. It's that, it's that lele part, the, the guh and yeah. the lele. Hey, you do it, You got it. Ui unga lele. Ui unga lele. There we go. There you go. You got to like, you don't have to say it all at the same like pace. Right. Got to go island time on that, you know? That's right. Exactly. Yeah, Draw it out. Slow and... I shouldn't have to tell you Southerners that shit. Ui unga lele. You all know how to talk real slow like. You, we were saying ukulele. I, I was. I was saying ukulele. We were saying, we were saying yungalele. <laughs> like a freaking ukulele. Really? I see it. First of all, I just say DJ. It's because like, that's we, we Everyone heard... fucking knows. No way. Ui ungalele. Ui ungalele. Yeah, that's fine. Was, uh, was Tua Tugavaloa this? I don't, I don't think his name was this, this is tough, anywhere near as tough. But yeah, it's... It, it, doesn't, it doesn't come out like it's spelled. And that's the same with DJs. Like... It's not Trevor Lawrence, right? Trevor Lawrence. Mm. Oh, I didn't know Shane Beamer was an assistant for the Cox. Oh, yeah. He's got he was there pedigree. He's got, got a Cox stamp <laughs> in his passport. Got cock Epic. blood. <laughs> cock run it deep with him. <laughs> Cock runneth over. Oh man, we're eight years old. Anyway, moving right along.